You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on WASP, the worldwide association of specialty programs and schools. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. He was trying to brand us. We were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. Join my hosts as they unravel the story of the largest and most shocking organization in the history of the troubled teen industry. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. School of Humans. Hello, American filth heads. How are we doing? What was that? I can't hear you. Oh, yeah, that's because uh, I can't. Anyway, sex work. You guys know that's something no one's ever had an opinion about. Yeah, that's a subject that people have always been ambivalent towards. I'm just kidding. Yes, people have had opinions about sex work for a really long time. Let me tell you. For example, in the 1830s in New York City, there was a group of white ladies who were on a crusade against sex work. They were called the New York Female Moral Reform Society, or the acronym FMRS, or FUMS. They were like, ugh, the brothels, the brothels of New York City. They're so dirty, they're so nasty, they're so filthy. We need to write up a report and tell everyone in New York about how disgusting they are. We need to talk about how women are being oppressed by evil pimps and madams. That's the only reason a woman would ever do prostitution, is if a servant of Satan got hold of them and forced them into a life of sin. No one would do it just to make money because of capitalism. So what the society did, or what they did, is they got together and they're like, we're going to do a little field trip to some brothels to prove our point. So they went around the town, they went to a few, and unfortunately for them, and the point they were trying to make, they found that most of the establishments were pretty nice. They were clean. They found that the women working there were very kind and welcoming. These women of ill repute were so reputable, or reputable, whatever, it doesn't sound as good if I say it how you're supposed to say it. And the ladies, they also discovered that a lot of the women got into this line of work not because they were tricked, but so that they could just supplement their low wages. And for most of them, it was a temporary side hustle, not necessarily a life they were trapped in. So unfortunately for the morality police, they were unable to support their point with evidence. But I mean, they still wrote up reports and they just kind of doctored them a little bit, being like, these places were disgusting. They only had a few free snacks for me to have. The women were so nice, but what are they hiding? 
They're so clean, but I don't know. Of course, not all the brothels of 1830s New York were terrific, you know. Some of them were just not as bad as they thought they would be. And yeah, that's crazy that I brought 1830s New York and sex work up because that is what this episode is about today. And we're talking about one specific sex worker. Her name was Mary Jones, and she was industrious. She was a prostitute, she was a thief, and truly, a pioneer in so many ways. So here we go. Cue the theme song that everybody's in love with. This is American Filth, and I'm your host, Gabby Watts. Every week, I tell you a filthy story from American history. And today's episode... It is called The Grandest of Larcenies. So it's the evening of June 11th, 1836, and there's this white guy named Robert Haslam, and he's down on Bleecker Street in Lower Manhattan. And he's looking for something a little specific. He's looking for some sex. Robert, he works as a mason. And sometimes after a long day of laying down some rocks, you want to get your rocks off. So he's there, walking down the street. It's about 10 o'clock, and voila! He sees in the distance a woman, a very beautiful, elegant black woman. She's wearing the latest fashions, which at that point would probably be like a big old puffy skirt that stopped at the ankles. Ooh, scandalous scenes, a little ankle action, are you kidding me? And the dresses, they kind of had a lowered neckline right across the collarbones and big puffy sleeves. She was also wearing a golden comb in her hair and had these beautiful white earrings. She looked good. Anyway, so Robert went up to this beautiful lady and he was like, hey, what's up? And she was like, mm, not much, what's up with you? And he was like, might I come walk away with you? She was like, yeah, let's go. This woman is Mary Jones. Before they walk down the street together, Mary throws her arms around him and pulls Robert into a big old sensual hug. After the embrace, they continue to walk down the street, and then she walks him down another street, Green Street. A few decades after this, Green Street would be one of the places for sex work, overflowing with brothels. That's more in the 1870s, but in the 1830s, there's some brothels there. There's not as many of them, though. Once they get to Green Street, they turn into a little alley. And we all know that there's only three things that ever happen in an alley. You have sex, someone beats you up, or you throw your trash in a dumpster that's teeming with raccoons, who then hiss at you and you think, oh God, are they rabbit? Are they going to bite me? Is it my time? Just me? Okay. Mary and Robert pursue the first option. And what kind of banging they did, that doesn't get included in the historical record. Literally, one of the newspapers that reported on this, after they say that Robert and Mary went down the alley, the reporter just wrote three asterisks. It's like, come on, I want to know. I'll just let you, the listener, imagine, you know, what they're doing. So let's take a beat. Did you imagine it? Great, okay. So they finish doing whatever they were doing. Robert's probably like, mm, excellent service, and pays her. And before she leaves, she flings her arms around him again. A last embrace. And then Robert walks back out into the New York City streets. Probably in a nice 
post-coital haze. Most likely to never see Mary again, or so he thought. Once he's a few blocks away, Robert checks his pockets, and shit! Oh no, he realizes that his wallet is gone. He looks around, retracing his steps. Did he drop it? But then something even stranger happens. He discovers that while his wallet isn't there, in its place is a wallet that belongs to somebody else. He's like, what is this? And that's when it dawned on him. That prostitute must have stolen it. (gasps) Like she hugged me right before I left. That must have been when she took it. Robert looks through the wallet that isn't his, and he finds a $200 banknote, which has the name of the guy who is the owner of this wallet. And Robert's pissed because in his own wallet, he had actual bills. He had like $99 in there, which at the time, that was a pretty hefty sum. And shoot, I take $99 right now. My Venmo is at Gabby-Watts. What? I didn't say it. Okay. Anyway, Robert is able to track down the guy who owns this wallet that night. He doesn't go into details about how he's such a super sleuth. Maybe he just has the nose of a dog. I don't know. Maybe men can just find other men. I don't know. Maybe there's just like a homing beacon on top of men who have been swindled by the same prostitute. I don't know. But he finds the guy. And he's like, hey man, I have your wallet. And at first, the guy's like, um, no you don't. And Robert's like, well, this is your wallet. Voila. It has your name on it. And the guy's like, mm, that's not mine. And Robert's like, yes, it is. Eventually, the dude is like, just, you know, that is my wallet. Thank you so much for giving it back to me. I just didn't want to say anything because it's like kind of embarrassing how I lost it. And Robert's like, oh, did you bang a lady in an alley off of Green Street? And then do you think she took your wallet from you? And he's like, yeah, that's crazy that you said that because that was exactly what happened. But I didn't want to report that because that would be so embarrassing. And Robert's like, okay, well, here's your wallet back. But unlike this dude, Robert isn't going to just let this lady get away with it. He's not a coward. He's proud. And he wants his $99 back because he has 99 problems right now and a bitch is certainly one of them. In fact, one of the main ones. In fact, the bitch is probably responsible for about 10 problems right now. What Robert does is he marches right down to the police station to report the crime. So Robert Haslam is at the police station talking to Constable Bowyer about his tragic tale. Robert's like, I was a victim of a horrible crime. There was this beautiful, elegant lady with a golden comb in her hair and white earrings. And we did some naughty business in an alleyway. And then she stole my wallet. And Constable Bowyer is like, oh my god, that totally sucks. I I feel so bad for you. So you know what? I'm going to go undercover and arrest that lady for you. Cue detective music. So Constable Bowyer is creeping around, goes down to Bleecker Street, because his plan is that he's just going to reenact exactly what happened to Robert the previous day. You know, just be there and then find the elegant black woman who's wearing a comb and white earrings. And what? Behold, there she is. How convenient. Or mostly he just assumes it's her. In a newspaper, the reporter said, quote, Thinking that this might be the one he sought, he made up his mind that he was right. Anyway, in this instance, though, he is in fact correct. It is Mary Jones. So he goes up to the lady and he's like, hey. Where are you going at this time of night? And she says, I am going home. Will you go too? And he agrees. They go over to Green Street. And at first, she actually leads him to the door of the brothel that she lives in. And she's like, my apartment's in here. You want to come in? And he says, no. Because remember, he's trying to authentically recreate the night that Robert had. So then he leads her to the alley. 
and once they're in the alley, Constable Bowyer grabs her and tries to arrest her. She's like, what the hell? And a tussle ensues. I'm imagining that Constable Bowyer was wearing a disguise, and his disguise comes flying off, and oh my god, the reveal! He's a police officer! But Mary's not going quietly. She's fighting back. And then, she reaches into the bosom of her dress, and she starts throwing out wallets. So, like, she's fighting and getting rid of evidence at the same time? That's girl boss shit right there. Eventually, the constable prevails and arrests her and marches her down to the police station. And while they're walking down to the station, Mary reaches into her skirts and discards even more wallets. After he throws her in a cell, he gets the key to her apartment. And Constable Bower and some other police officers go to the brothel where she lives and search around to see if they can find the wallet of Robert Haslam. But once they get to her apartment, know what they find? They find a whole trunk load of wallets. So many wallets, so many loose bills. They're just like, damn, this lady is hustling and grinding. She has really developed a scheme, and it seems she is very good at it. There is enough evidence here to charge her with grand larceny. Oh, it's larceny, and baby, it's grand. We love it. Theft of property. But because she has so many wallets, they're like, we should probably check her again to see if she has any more wallets in her dress somewhere. So they go back to the police station, and they're about to make an even more bamboozling discovery. More on that after the break, after these soothing advertisements. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on Wasp. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. They burned us and subject us to really horrible, uh, cruel and unusual punishment. After my personal experience at Provo Canyon School, I was shocked to learn that a man named Robert Litchfield, a man who got his start at the school that I went to, would go on to create a multi-million dollar empire. He was trying to brand us, so we were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. The Worldwide Association of Specialty Programs and Schools. They prey on, you know, a parent's really natural and beautiful love for their children in a really, really, unfortunately, effective way. At this time in my life now, if someone presented this program to me, and not just because I've already experienced it, 
sham, scam, beware. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. <laughs> oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed, And to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Constable Bowyer and the other police officers go back to the police station to search Mary to see if she has any more wallets on her. The police officers are just doing their thing that they love to do, so they go underneath her skirts and they make a discovery that they did not expect. They find that Mary Jones is in possession of a prosthetic vagina. Now, to them, at this point in time, 1830s New York, this is a most baffling discovery. The New Yorkers and the New York cops were not versed in the gender and queer theory of the 20th and 21st century. Can you believe it? So the way the newspapers and the population at large describe this discovery is, as you can imagine, quite insensitive. In one newspaper, the journalists struggled to describe what this prosthetic vagina was. They also thought it was so indecent that it would be inappropriate for women and children in the lower classes to read about. So instead of just writing the description of the object in English, one reporter decided to write it in Latin. So then only the educated white men could read it. And what the newspaper said was that Mary Jones had been fitted with a piece of cow leather, pierced and opened like a woman's womb, held up by a girdle. So who is Mary Jones? We get some more information about her at her arraignment the next day. They say, what is your right name? And Mary Jones says, Peter Sawali, I am a man. And then they ask her, what made you compelled to dress in women's clothing? To quote her directly, she says, I have been in the practice of waiting upon girls of ill fame and made up their beds and received the company at the door and received the money for rooms and they induced me to dress in women's clothes, saying I look so much better in them. And I have always attended parties among the people of my own color dressed in this way. And in New Orleans, I always dress in this way. I've been in the state service. In the arraignment, the last question was, did you steal Mr. Haslam's pocketbook? She said, no, sir, I never saw the gentleman or laid my eyes upon him. So it's taken many historians over several decades to piece together more information about Mary's life. What we know is that she was born Peter Sawali in New York in 1803. She couldn't read and would sign her name with an X. She served in the military at some point and spent time in New Orleans and then came home to New York. 
And now, contemporary historians consider her one of the first openly transgender people to be recorded in New York's history. And when it comes to being a wallet thief, it seems like she had been doing this scheme for a while. She might have also been involved in some other criminal stuff at the time, but clearly by the sheer number of wallets she discarded during the tussle with Constable Bowyer and then the ones found in her apartment, she was quite good at it and had swindled many fellas. And all of these dudes, all of them had been too embarrassed to report the theft to the cops. But Robert Haslam, he refused to lose to Mary Jones. He was happy to testify against her because she took his $99. So the trial is the next day. Mary's in the courtroom as well, but she's not allowed to testify. This was fairly common at the time that the defendants weren't allowed to give a verbal testimony. Instead, her arraignment was read. And, interesting enough, the arraignment identified her not as Peter Sawali, but as Mary Jones. But the newspaper started identifying her as a man. The trial was quite a spectacle. A lot of people came because they were curious about her. One newspaper reported that one of the spectators there snatched the flowing wig off of Mary's head, and there was a tremendous roar and great merriment because of it. Unlike Mary, Robert was able to testify, and he never once said he knew that Mary had a prosthetic vagina. And even if he did know that, he would not admit it. At the end of the trial, Mary Jones was convicted, guilty, for grand larceny. The court record never explicitly says if Robert ever got his money or his wallet back. And Mary got mocked for the next few weeks in the press. They were painting her as a perverted, evil criminal. A satirist named H.R. Robinson even made an image of Mary Jones entitled The Man Monsters, Peter Sawali, alias Mary Jones. But the thing is that the image is just a portrait of an elegant woman with nothing really monstrous about her. Mary Jones was given the maximum sentence for the crime, five years of hard labor at Sing Sing Prison. So Sing Sing, not a great place to be, and it seems that Mary did end up serving her entire sentence there. And then soon after her release, Mary begins popping back up in the public records, up to her old tricks of stealing wallets. And she's quite notorious. In the press, she's been given the extremely rude nickname Beefsteak Pete. In one newspaper in 1844, a reporter wrote that by day, Beefsteak Pete wore a dashing suit of male apparel, and then at night, Mary prowls around the five points in other similar parts of the city in the disguise of a female for the purpose of enticing men into the dens of prostitution, where he picks their pockets, an art in which he is greatly adept. After Sing Sing, Mary was arrested 11 additional times. And from 1842 to 1858, she spent about seven years in various prisons around New York. She even encountered Constable Bowyer again in 1842. One night, he was just following a black woman whose, quote, appearance excited suspicions that she was of no good. And then he discovered that it was Mary Jones and arrested her. And she got sent back to prison for six months. What we know about Mary Jones' personal life at the time is that she had a relationship with at least two people, one being with a white man who was a thief named John Williams. They got arrested together in 1844. And then, according to a much later census record, she married a black woman named Betsy. Other things we discover about Mary during this time is that she had a lot of white friends, and that's how she was able to get out of so many scrapes with the law. In an 1858 newspaper article, 
detailing another arrest. It read, Pete said he could get a good many white friends who could get him out of a scrape, but he would not call on them. He believes in honor among thieves. As I said, contemporary historians identify Mary Jones as a transgender woman. But previously, other historians had also seen her as a cis gay man dressing as a woman who could serve up same-sex sex in a more palatable form. And because of the limited information on her and also just, you know, society and how it was, if she would have considered herself a transgendered person, we'll never know. But a lot of historians think of her that way for a variety of intelligent and intellectual reasons. One idea was that, you know, she had other options for work. Like at Sing Sing, she learned some trades, like wood turning. She could have done that as a job. Alternatively, there was also a lot of men at the time who were successful on stage dressing as women. You know, maybe she could have pursued show business because, you know, that's so easy to break into. Or she could have worked as a male prostitute. And with any of these options, it was likely that she probably would have been arrested a lot less. But no, she always returned to being a woman and stealing wallets. So perhaps that indicates that is how she felt most comfortable, most herself. What is clear is that Mary embraced a malleable identity, whether, you know, for her gender liberation or so that she could get out of scrapes with the law. You know, maybe both. The last time we hear from Mary, you know, direct quotes in her own words, is in 1848. And here she's being accused again of pickpocketing a man. His name is Michael Bonney. But this time she used the name Julia Johnson. And in fact, Mary Jones had a variety of aliases. Miss Ophelia, Miss June... Eliza Smith, to name a few. And here is what she said in the court record. I was born in New Jersey. I'm 27 years old. Note, she probably would have been more like 45. I am married. My husband has gone on a trading voyage to New Orleans. And then when they asked, Did you before last night see or know Michael Bonnie?" She replied, I never saw him before in my life. I stopped on the area stoop of the house in McDougal Street to tie up my stocking and saw Bonnie standing there. He then asked me where I was going, and I told him I was going on an errand. He then asked me if I lived in that house, and I told him I did not. He then took a silver dollar piece from the pocket of his vest and handed it to me, and I knocked it out of his hand. He then stooped down and picked it up and put it in my hand again and tried to pull up my clothes. I knocked at the door, and a white woman came and opened the door, and he held on to me and charged me with stealing his money. Now, whether Mary Jones did steal this man's money or not, we'll never know. But, you know, I feel like perhaps she does have a bit of a history of it. But I think what's most impressive is that during this time, she had become pretty notorious for her stealing wallet scheme. And yet, she was able to pull it off time and time again. I mean, sure, yes, she was arrested fairly frequently. But still, she had quite an entrepreneurial spirit. And I really wish there was more information about her. But there's really just a few newspaper articles, the arraignments, sort of all that stuff. But what we can know about her is that her life was pretty remarkable. You know, she was a black, openly transgender woman in the 1830s and 40s. And she figured out how to survive. And as always, we learn a lesson from American filth. And I think what Mary shows us is that even though she was a very well-known criminal, she was still able to dupe lots of dudes into getting their wallets. So I think she shows us, as per usual, that men are what? Dumb. Okay, that's the lesson for today. This has been American Phil. Thanks for listening. 
American Filth is a production of School of Humans and iHeart Podcast. This one was written and hosted by me, Gabby Watts. Our senior producer is Amelia Brock. Theme song is by me and Jesse Neiswanger. Our executive producers are Virginia Prescott, Brandon Barr, and Elsie Crowley. Please leave us a comment, review, etc. Five stars, one star, however many stars you want. You can also follow along with the pod on Instagram at American Filth Pod. Bye. School of Humans. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elia Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. Well, how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on WASP, the worldwide association of specialty programs and schools. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. It was trying to brand us. We were going to become the McDonald's of kid treatment. Join my host as they unravel the story of the largest and most shocking organization in the history of the troubled teen industry. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast! Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at First, first Listen. Listen. This season... We're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.